Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Returning to the show is Michael Saylor, who's going to give us a year review of 2022 and answer Lauren's question. It was a wide open one. Wide, wide open. Very well handled, as always, by Michael. Before we get into the show, you're not bullish enough on Bitcoin. Make sure you are stacking sats. There are some very good services out there that you can use. The infrastructure has come along so damn quickly. Please do your own research. Find out options and solutions in your own country. These are the, sh these are the, the, the sponsors that are aligned with my message of the show. So if you want to look into them, if you're based in the US, there's swampbitcoin.com. If you are based in Europe, Coin Corner have you covered for Europe and UK. And Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch. All of these companies are Bitcoin-only companies. They can help you set up your auto buys, your fiat cost average plans, which is what Michael does himself with MicroStrategy and personally. If you want to go down the route of KYC-free Satoshis, that's know your customer free. You can use the global trading, peer-to-peer -peer trading platform, HODL, HODL, who also bring you each year the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. Make sure you get across to that. That's going to be early September. Michael was a guest remotely this year, and I had the honor of interviewing on stage. Big shout out to the HODL, HODL team doing great work. Thank you for your support. If you would like to break some of the privacy, uh, some of the KYC and improve your privacy, you can use CoinJoin services. There are numerous options out on the market at the moment. I have had Max Hillebrand on the show. You can download wasabiwallet.io to try their service to see this is something, whether this is something that you're interested in doing. It's very easy to use. Open your laptop, Download the wallet, hit a receive address, run some sats through it, and see how you feel. Now, once you've done all of that, once you have some sats, please make sure you are stacking safely and taking full self-custody. Get them on a cold storage device, a signing device. You can use the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet brought to you by shiftcrypto.ch. Use code BITTEN at checkout and you will get a 5% discount. All the links to all of these companies are in the show notes. There's no link for Wasabi, just wasabiwallet.io. There's nothing to pay. But all of the other links, you will get some kind of discount, some kind of break on trading fees. And check out my links as well on my link tree, which are also in the show notes. I'll just read out some of the companies there that are offering discounts to you plebs. There's going to be a conference in Prague, 8th to the 10th of June. If you use code BITTEN, you'll get 10% off. Amsterdam conference, they'll be back next year. 
Bitcoin Miami, you'll get 10% off if you use code BITTEN. And there's tons more on there. I'll talk about some more at the end of the show. Enjoy this rip with Michael. All right, we're back. Michael, welcome back to the Once Bitten Show. Lauren, what do you have to say? So this question is like it's not related to Bitcoin at all. But uh, so it's, a, it's a Christmassy question. So what is the best Christmas kit, gift you got? What, in his life? In his life. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wide open for you, Mike. <laughs> oh, this is a really hard... A house full of family members showing up to to spend the holiday with me. That's the best gift for oh, Christmas. That's cute. Yeah. Wait a minute. You say that's cute because Uncle Chad says that. But when I say things like that, it, you it, say things like I that. say my presence is your presence. My presence. What do you? Ah. Uh... Now she's falling in. Now she's falling in. Ah. You see, it's about time, Lauren. It's about time with loved ones and not the little plastic things. You read the Grinch poem. And it's not about consumption and plastic. Yeah, but I'm getting books and stuff this year, so. Let's test uh, Let's test Uncle Chad. What do you, you know, think? One, one day you're going to miss him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you'll be yeah. away with your friends for a ski vacation Christmas. You, you'll only miss him for a couple of minutes, but you will miss him, and then you'll get back to the skiing. Yeah. And something will happen and it, it will click. It's like, ah, the old man was actually right about some things in life. Some things in life. Well, let, let's and see I... if, uh, let's see, Michael, what, what do you think the, uh, for those that are listening to the podcast, I'm wearing a t-shirt with the HSBC logo on, but underneath the acronym is HBDC. Any, <laughs> any idea what that might stand for? <laughs> I don't want to speculate. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you enlighten me honey badger don't care yeah okay i like so it that that's that's what we're all about isn't it Lauren? do you have any more questions for for uncle chad i don't think so no no can i just say for the record lauren you're taller you're growing out of the frame last time you were dead center and now you're now Daniel has to keep adjusting the camera up. That so that's a true. good thing. The first time you spoke with uh, with Michael was you were nine years old. Yeah, you were just about to turn ten, and now you're almost twelve. I believe that. How much have you learned about Bitcoin in those two years? Well, the amount of people I've met, you talk about it all day, so probably twenty-one million. Ah. <laughs> There you go. Lauren keeps getting taller and smarter, Daniel, and we stay the same. I would like to think we're getting smarter as we go, Michael, but, uh, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Do you want to say good night then? Yeah. All right, Michael. How, how have you been? I'm doing fine. Should we do a little year, a year in review with. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah uh why not kick it off um what's been your 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 biggest uh positive moment of 2022 um the, the positive of 2022 i i think um the 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 most positive thing of the year is 
is um, the emergence of Bitcoin as the institutional grade digital asset and the clarity that has arrived to the mainstream media and uh, and to institutions and to the government that there's one crypto asset that's a digital commodity. I think uh, Bitcoin is that commodity. I, I, at this point, it's been iterated by the chair of the SEC, and it is now just iterated by the chair of the CFTC. We saw um, a speech by the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, <clears throat> um, reciting the legend of Satoshi. We saw the chair of the SEC sitting in a cabinet meeting with with regulators from a dozen or more different agencies uh, reciting the legend of Satoshi. We've seen um, we've seen uh, senators and Congress persons uh, referring to Bitcoin and uh, and the virtues of decentralization. I think we've uh, we went in two years from uh, from people on Twitter lamenting the lack of mainstream coverage of Bitcoin. There was no coverage at all to uh, a point where we saw five stories in a single day on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And we saw stories about the industry, you know, go to The New York Times, The Journal, Forbes, Fortune. We saw the spin up of Bloomberg Crypto. Um, so, um, a lot of mainstream coverage, the legitimacy or the leg legitimization of the asset class, uh, it's clear that there's been a lot of crypto carnage and a lot of broken glass and a lot of pain, uh, for Bitcoiners, even more pain for, for non-Bitcoiners or, or, or crypto token people, right? Where they watch their Terra and Luna go to zero and a lot of crypto banks, closed their doors and went to zero. So we have seen a, a crash to zero of lots and lots of things in the ecosystem. But I think this is a necessary maturing process for the industry. And, and the one thing that I think is probably just the most auspicious is that there seems to be broad-based consensus on uh, two things. One thing, that uh, digital assets are here to stay and that uh, the entire world needs to embrace the crypto economy one, one way or the other. And the other thing is that the one crypto commodity that exists in the world that's universally agreed upon is Bitcoin. So that being the case, Bitcoin is the most stable thing in the universe. And, and uh, if we're not banning it, then it's only going to grow. Okay. And the biggest disappointment of 2022? I mean, the biggest disappointment is just, you know, all, all of the um, negative, uh, negative effects of having the crypto economy meltdown as we, we knew it was going to, but but uh, all of the people in the Bitcoin industry that are doing the right thing, that are working to grow the industry, have been slimed by their association with the rest of crypto. 
right? It's like Do Kwan decides to buy some Bitcoin and screws up the Bitcoin market by blowing up a $60 billion complex. That's been a negative thing. The explosion of three arrows. And well, I mean, what, what really makes you angry? What makes you angry is all the crypto uh, neo banks and wildcat banks that uh, collected people's money or either got people's Bitcoin or they got their money to buy Bitcoin. And then they either never bought the Bitcoin or they bought the Bitcoin and then panic sold or, or, or sold the Bitcoin in a fire sale as they were being forced liquidated. But really makes you angry when you read about you know, say FTX that collected billions and billions of dollars, but never bought the Bitcoin actually. So, so um, why is this a problem? If FTX stole billions of dollars in a BlockFi and Voyager and Three Arrows and, and Celsius and, and uh, Terra Luna, if all of those ecosystems basically collected people's money and then lost all the money, then people that legitimately wanted to own Bitcoin had their money stolen from them. So what you had was um, you have you have the very careful Bitcoiners that bought their Bitcoin and still have their Bitcoin, and then you have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of um, more casual Bitcoiners that maybe they bought the Bitcoin and, and deposited in Celsius to get some yield and now they lost their Bitcoin. And I think that that's tragedy. I mean, it's it's bad for them, right? It's 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 awful for anyone who had their money stolen from them. And it's not good for Bitcoin because billions and billions of dollars of Bitcoin was uh, stolen and slash destroyed, right? The, I send you $20 billion to buy Bitcoin. You take the Bitcoin, you steal the money and the Bitcoin doesn't get bought, right? Or, or I send you 20 billion worth of Bitcoin and then you loan it out to someone that invested in Terra Luna and Terra Luna goes to zero and then the Bitcoin never comes back, you know? And so what happened? They converted the Bitcoin into Terra Luna or converted the Bitcoin into FTT or, or the equivalent and then that went to zero, right? So that kind of makes you mad. Mm -hmm. It's it's some, somewhat tragic, somewhat ir it's irritating, tragic. It's not it's uh it's not the finest moment for the crypto industry, and you know you you would say you probably shouldn't have trusted any of these people, but there are a lot of decent people that did trust them, right? You mm -hmm. you had a lot of uh, a lot of crypto influencers, a lot of Bitcoin influencers, and they were sponsored by. Blockfolio and FTX and Celsius and and some of the other other players in the space. If if you were sponsored by Voyager or or uh, or BlockFi or FTX, and then someone decided to use one of those, then they've suffered. I think the uh, you know the the Gemini Earn product, right, where people actually bought Bitcoin through Gemini and then they transfer it to Genesis and Genesis generates yield by maybe loaning it out to three arrows and three arrows loses it and Genesis can't pay you back. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, a low point in the industry, a growing pain. It's a, a brutally expensive market lesson but it just reminds you of the corrupting influence of the industry. There are so many people that are counterfeiting money 
or they're just stealing the money. And the advantage is to the counterfeiters, right? If mm -hmm. it, it, I think uh, FTX, FTX um, invested $5.6 billion in FTX ventures. They must have spent another $2 billion in marketing and, and the, or more in the two years. So they poured about $7.5 billion into the economy and they did it by in essence counterfeiting $10 billion or more worth of tokens like FTT and, and SRM. And they boosted Solana and you know they boosted maps. And then they went and they borrowed real money you know, they borrowed as much as they could posting that collateral from counterparties that, you know, like the, they borrowed from BlockFi and, you know, borrowed from Voyager and probably borrowed from Three Arrows or they borrowed from anybody that would have made um, a loan to them. And uh, and then they borrowed from their own depositors at FTX. And of course, they then raised billions of dollars from outside investors. And they took all that money and they and they, in essence, corrupted everybody they could, right? So you give $45 million to block, right? $45 million to, uh, uh, what, a handful of journalists? What could go wrong, you know? $15 million <laughs> to, you know, to one influencer who will remain nameless that everybody knows. And, you know, and then, and then you give it to every politician on both sides of the aisle, and then you give it to all of the academics. I... I think it'll be probably three to five years before we know the extent of that corrupt money. But I, you know, I don't think that there are many people that, that weren't tainted. They went to pretty much every crypto influencer, every journalist, every politician, every entrepreneur, everybody that they, every educator, everyone that would take their money, you know, every celebrity, Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, just just about anybody that would take their money, they went to them. And, you know, if you read the FTX Ventures spreadsheet, it's like eight pages long. <laughs> and they invested they invested something in hundreds of things. Right. Hundreds. You know, it's hard to figure out who in the industry didn't end up with some of that money. So. The. Uh, the counterfeiters have an advantage in the war over the sound money people, right? No, nobody's taking seven and a half billion dollars of Bitcoin and using it to taint politicians and taint the media because it's seven and a half real dollars, right? It's hard to come by that money. But if you just gen up seven and a half billion dollars worth of, you know, FTT token, right? That's that's made up money. I mean, Sam pretty much created that money in twelve months maybe 18 months max in order to create another billion dollars. He just needed to, to manipulate the price up $3 a token. How hard is that? Not hard at all. He basically took the money from his own customers off the exchange, wash traded it with himself, manipulated the price up three bucks, declared a billion dollars worth of earnings and then went and spent it. And how he spent it, he, he bought everybody. So I, I think, I think that's the that's the negative. I guess the positive is we got lucky that FTX blew up because they were very close to bribing, you know, or corrupting the entire establishment. Right. We'll see just how far they got. But I mean, some of the bills in Congress, they were driving to get light regulation in D.C. and then f funnel crypto exchange fees into the regulators. 
-hmm. order to addict them to more counterfeit crypto money. So I think um, I think it's been a brutally painful year, you know, one of the more difficult years, but um, it is necessary. It's a necessary rite of passage. If the if the regulators won't clean up the industry, right? A lot of people, a lot of people, I, I don't know for whatever reason they think regulation is a bad word, but but if people are running through your neighborhood, you know, shooting the children and burning down the houses and stealing your cars, you know, and murdering your dog, you would say, where are the police? Why don't they show up, you know, and install some order? You know, the, the real issue here is the regulators need to enforce the law. And what you've got is a lot of people that are lying, cheating and stealing. Mm -hmm. And the regulators have been very slow, very kind of very slow, very ineffective in, in, in enforcing ethics and the law in the industry for whatever reason. So the result is the market ends up you know, enforcing it, you kind of need your own vigilantes, right? So you end up with the Bitcoin maximalist pointing out the scams and the frauds and they stand up and say, look, we're not, we're just not going to let you abuse people like that. And so that, and they pay a personal price to do it. But I think that happened. And then, and then you have, you know, the, the, the order of nature, right? The natural result, which is if, if you insist upon acting irrationally and irresponsibly, right, long enough, like Sam basically gets high, steals the family car, goes on a joyride 180 miles an hour. Maybe the police didn't stop him, but he wrapped the Ferrari around the tree. See, like that's that's what happened with FTX, which is they took the car off a cliff. Why? Because they were high. And they were going too fast. And so, you know, ultimately, uh, nature heals itself. Y you would like for there to be law and order. And if there was law and order, it never would have got this bad. But even if there isn't law and order, uh, I mean, eventually, um, play stupid games, win silly prizes, right? When, mm -hmm. when Do Kwon issues $20 billion of UST and pays 20% interest, he took out a $20 billion loan and agreed to pay 20% interest. So he had to come up with $4 billion in cash a year. So, okay, so some, you know, some kid in Singapore decides to borrow $20 billion to pay $4 billion in cash a year. And his his idea for how he pays the, the, the $4 billion is he's going to print his own Luna token. Okay, so how long can you actually print Luna token that gets converted to four billion in cash a year? And it's like, I guess you can do it when it's two billion dollar loan, but when it became a twenty billion dollar loan, you couldn't do it. So, so what happened? Everybody, you know, was, was kind of just uh, getting high on infinite leverage, and there were no cops on the beat, right? Uh, and uh, they got out of control, and so. As soon as there's a little bit of pressure, the little pressure was um, was the uh, the Federal Reserve funds rate, right? If you if you look at what really catalyzed or tipped this off, and we go to you know one year, the the one year yield on uh, a U.S. Treasury bill in the last twelve months went from twenty six basis points all the way up to four hundred and. Uh, 70 or 480 
basis points. So as the free money environment started to come out and you started you started seeing some pressure on the entire ecosystem, the first thing to crack crack was Terra Luna. And then the next thing to crack was three arrows, which was again ridiculous leverage. And then and then the three arrows thing really mortally wounded all the crypto hedge funds, I think, and it, and it mortally wounded Alameda. But it took um another three months before we saw that filter and it's still filtering. We're still seeing the depths of that because we're staring at Genesis, wondering what will happen with Genesis. There's 34 days or something since they froze out or, or locked their redemptions. Hmm. And so for I think, the casual uh, observer, we're close. what's annoying, right? Is that the, the casual observer, those people that might have just been on the edge of dipping their toe in to read some extra articles about, you know, Bitcoin, Rather than like the 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 grander crypto kind of sphere, they they we could have just knocked them back three to five years, or even longer from even considering touching uh, an investment in, in Bitcoin because they just lump Bitcoin in with. I mean, the positive for us is it has been defined, but in the mainstream media, they're still doing a not the best job of um, you know it's all clickbait to get this. Uh, these heady headlines out like crypto's dead, Bitcoin's dead, and they're always using Bitcoin as like uh, the main depiction for those clicks on their, um, you know, the, the incentive structure in the, the MSM journalist world is still so. Uh, and and then we got Greenpeace, you know, wailing in on us to use. Uh, um, you know. It's like the Wild West, you know. I mean, you you want to go west for property rights, you go west, and then there's the romantic notion that you've got freedom, but then some criminal shows up with a gun and he shoots half the people in town. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that didn't help, <laughs> right? That didn't accelerate the you know the the adoption the population of the, west. <laughs> of the west, right? The fact the fact that one criminal out of a thousand can go and shoot twenty decent people, including the town doctor. Right. That mm -hmm. didn't help. So um, I think we've got the Wild West and you would say, well, if you if you wanted a rational adoption and the smoothest progression of virtuous technology, it would have been better with, to have law and order. And uh, we've been lacking, uh, lacking a bit of law and order in the past two years. And the absence of law and order, what you have is you have criminals uh, that are corrupting and bribing the media, the academics, and the politicians. And so that's a setback. And then you also have criminals stealing people's money, like economically murdering people. Mm -hmm. That's a setback. And, uh, you know, but it's above my pay grade, right? Like I don't, I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not the head of the SEC or the CFTC. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not. You're going to throw your hand in the ring? So, um, no, I mean, I'm I'm gonna keep working for Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I was gonna I'm say gonna, you, I'm gonna keep the Bitcoin job. That's my day job, and I'm I'm okay with that. But you know, I you know, I, I get your point. Um we can lament. It would have been nice if there was law and order as people moved west. But you know, there was some law and some order, and there's some vigilantes and and occasionally the criminal comes into town and everybody kind of gets together and decides they need to push back on the criminal. And then at some point, somebody sets up and steals a bunch of money and then people don't trust that somebody. And 
they shift their trust to somebody else. So I think that the end, the, the future is Bitcoin and it's, it's obviously a uh, volatile path to Bitcoin, but we're moving in the right direction. Bitcoin is stronger today than it was two years ago or four years ago or six years ago or eight years ago. And I think you just got to keep your head down, nose to the grindstone and move forward. And here we are, you're, you're two years into your, your, your first cycle. That's been a hell of a ride. Uh, do you want to, you know, chat about you know your class of 2020? And um, my goodness, I, I remember very, very vividly the day that MicroStrategy announced that the big announcement that um, you know you were going to invest 50 million dollars into uh, into Bitcoin in that September. I believe the announcement was made. You can correct me if I am wrong. Um, but we all we all. We all get Bitcoin at the price we deserve is the old saying. I, I like to tweak that at the time we deserve, maybe might be a nicer way to uh, to put it. How has that felt that this two years of roller coaster ride? And um, for those plebs that are listening that might have followed you in, uh, even those that bought at 50, 60,000, and here we are sitting at 16,000. What's the message to um, to those people out there? Um, I think you just got to take the long view, right? I mean, if if you have a less than four-year time horizon, you're just a trader. You're just a speculator. And uh, if you if you think you're going to hold Bitcoin for four to ten years, you probably haven't. You don't understand Bitcoin yet. You should probably go study it hard, right? Because um, I think once you understand Bitcoin, you know you got to have a 10 year plus time horizon. And, and when you really understand it, you realize you should have a hundred year time horizon. I could say, you know, Dan, first of all, on the, on the, on the cycle, I feel like there were three cycles since August, 2020, right? I mean, Bitcoin ran up to about, you know, 60,000. It ran down to the thirties. It ran up to the sixties again. It ran down to the thirties again. It ran up to 47 and we thought it was headed north and and then i think the fed started uh cranking on the tightening and then it crashed down right and then we thought we were going back up again and uh then the ftx thing happened and we got hammered again so so you could think one to easily three cycles in uh 24 months <laughs> um I, I think uh I mean, that's a humbling experience. I did, I probably underestimated to a certain degree the volatility that we were going to have uh, a year in, a year after I got into this, right? I had a little uh, debate at one point with uh, Saifedean on it. He turned out to be more right than I was. <laughs> he was saying there's going to be a 75% drawdown. And I was like, I don't I don't think maybe it will. But, uh, you know, if Saifedean's listening, you were right. Uh so congrats to you. I don't I don't know if we're happy about it, but you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, I don't think it matters at the end of the day, right? You've got volatility as um, a digital monetary asset is, you know, is coming to life. And as we monetize Bitcoin, so um, two, two thoughts. One, 
I never really took a hundred year time horizon. Uh, I never, I never considered investing in anything for a hundred years before I discovered Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me, you know, in the year 2020, in March of 2020, is there anything that you would invest in for a hundred years? Is it even relevant to ask about the uh, the outlook for the asset in multiple decades? I would have said, you're crazy, right? You don't know what Google's going to do in a hundred years. You don't know what Apple will be. I mean, you don't know. You can't own that land for a hundred years. You don't. You don't know anything really. You don't know that people will use natural gas. Oil may be obsolete. Maybe we'll use nuclear fusion. So I, I would say there's a pretty, pretty big inflection point that 8 billion people on the planet had things they could invest in that had a useful investment life of 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It used to be a long time frame was 20 years. And it was only after discovering Bitcoin that that I started thinking different. And and you know, if you roll the clock back to like the first podcast I I did after I bought Bitcoin, you know, people asked me about Bitcoin. I said, well, I looked at it versus gold, and I started analyzing it, and I was trying to figure out which one was better because it was the question of do I buy five hundred million of Bitcoin or five hundred million of gold, and once I, you know, read the Bitcoin standard and I started understanding stock to flow and I, I started thinking about hardness of a, of a commodity, I realized, well, the half-life of gold is 35 years. If you keep, uh, if you keep increasing the supply by 2%, it's a 35-year half-life. And, if and uh, you know, I, I knew enough of nonlinear mathematics and engineering to see that uh, that the 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 stock to flow of Bitcoin is effectively zero because because in the limit as t goes to infinity, the number is twenty one million, and in the limit as t goes to infinity, the stock to flow is infinity. There there is no right inflation in the limit, and you would understand that if you study calculus, right? I mean, it's it's freshman calculus, right? But the irony, of course, is most uh, economics isn't based on calculus, right? I mean, when's the last time you saw an economist say, well, in the limit as T goes to infinity or demand goes to infinity or such such and such in the limit, this is the equilibrium or, or this is the solution. So I just looked at that and I said, well, yeah, in, in the limit, it's pretty clear that gold's got a half-life of 35 years and Bitcoin has got a half-life of infinity. And if I just play it out for 100 years, well, over the course of a hundred years, you know, a hundred million of Bitcoin is still the, you know, the hundred million, but the hundred million of gold has been cut in half three times. So you've got 12 million of gold. So gold's losing 88% of its energy over a hundred years. Bitcoin is not losing 88% of its energy and that makes it 10x better. Okay, so why would you ever express an opinion about anything looking out a hundred years if you couldn't imagine it lasting that long. And, uh, you know, the useful life of a company, the average life of a company or life expectancy of a company is like 20, 25 years. If it's a successful one, if it's a small company, the, the expected life is five years. The expected life of uh, a house or, a, you know, uh, or a building, right, is not a hundred years. There's no building that a hundred years after it was built 
is still usable without substantial maintenance. So I think Bitcoin drew me into understand thinking hard about the theory of property. Like a, what what is the half life of something? Well, if if you want to understand it, you have to understand the maintenance cost. So if the maintenance cost of owning a you know a residential property in Florida is two percent taxes and another two percent a year in utilities and upkeep and insurance, then that's four percent a year. So that means that means in essence the half life is four divided into seventy. So call it you know. 16, 17 years or something. Okay, so so the half-life of residential property in Florida is 17 years. The half-life of, you know, to calculate the half-life of a commercial office building, you would have to do some kind of triple net thing where you look at the rents and then you, you know, you subtract the taxes, the insurance, the, the utilities cost, the depreciation of the building, and you could maybe come up with some useful half-life, but what you can see, of course, is is uh, it has some expense and and there's some challenge to operating it. So I think Bitcoin really drives you to think about the theory of property and it drives you to think about the theory of money. And uh, when you finish, you realize that all the money you ever had was defective. And all the property you ever have, you ever had, has a uh, a shorter half life. Especially once you once you factor in all of uh, the natural maintenance costs and the risk factors. And this is where most people don't do this very well. For example, um, what's uh, how do you calculate um, whether you have positive or negative yield on? Um, a loan to Celsius that pays you 6%, right? If I give my Bitcoin to Celsius or BlockFi and they pay me 6%, well, that's like I'm getting paid 6% rent, but then what's the real cost of the investment? And the cost of the investment is they might just take the money and never get back to you. So how do you assess that? Well, if you think that that once in 50, one in 50 or once in 50 years they'll fail, then that's 2% a year is uh, the cost of capital. Uh, but then you have to put the risk-free cost of capital on top of it. So if I had a million dollars in the current environment, uh, I could go and get 4.5% 4, 4 interest from the US government mm -hmm. on a one-year bond. So the risk-free cost of capital is 450 basis points. Then if you think it's going to fail once in 50 years, it's six, it's 200 basis points more. So now it's 650 basis points. But now you, now you actually got to consider the tax. So the tax, uh, the, ta the after-tax benefit you have from making the loan is... Um, you know, maybe you get paid six and a half percent interest and your tax rate is 33%. So you're you're basically getting like four, 400 basis points after tax. And now you have to compare that to, you know, what, what have you taken, right? I guess, I guess the point is if you think that the firm might fail in 30 years, right, then the counterparty risk is equal to the after-tax return if it fails once every 30 years. 
And, um, and the real problem, of course, is you could have got, you know, 300 basis points after tax yield risk-free if you just put it with the federal government. So what does that mean ultimately? It means that, that uh, you're basically taking on twice as much cost as you're getting yield if that firm fails every 30 years, which means that, the, you know, another way to get, isn't it kind of ironic that you get to a conclusion, the half-life of your money invested in the Celsius bank is 30 years if it fails once every 30 years, right? Does that make sense or something yeah. like that, right? Right, I mean, but of course we know that the, the risk is much greater, right? The risk is not, not they're gonna fail every 30 years. How about every 10 years? Not even that. They didn't even last five years. Mm-hmm. So, but but if you thought they were going to fail every ten years, then you would have had to put ten percent on top of that. And what you would have realized is that that uh, you're taking on, in essence, people are taking taking on a thirty percent counterparty risk per year in order to get paid six percent, or in order to get paid four percent after tax they took a 30% risk, which meant that they were they were basically buying a negative yielding, minus 26% yielding thing, most likely. Although I don't know if many people even lasted three years, right? If the real risk was they would blow up within one cycle, which is 36 months, then you had a counterparty risk of 33%, against an after-tax yield of 3%. So I think um, I think the reason to study Bitcoin is because if you study Bitcoin deeply enough, you would be able to articulate all the defects of money, like the fact that there's a 34% negative real yield or 30% negative real yield on, owning the peso. Right. Yeah. If you understand that, if you understand there's a 30% negative real yield owning the peso, then you understand currency and money. If you understood that there was a 30% negative real yield uh, invest putting money in BlockFi or an FTX or a Voyager or Celsius, then you understand uh, banking. <laughs> if you understand, um, if you understand the risk of investing in Snapchat or Facebook or Alibaba or or the like owning an equity, right? Yeah. Now you are, now you know why they're public companies and you have to read the disclosures. But of course, if you bought FTT token, you bought an unregistered security. So you bought a <clears throat> you bought a private equity token without a disclosure. <laughs> whatever the risk of owning a public equity like Apple or Microsoft or Amazon or the like, and Amazon's down 50% for the year, right? Whatever that risk is, the risk of owning a private equity token is 10X that. So when you put a million dollars into FTT token, right? You're looking at something like a negative real yield of 40, 50%. There was a you know, there's a one third or one half chance it was going to zero within 24 months within the cycle, 
right? But you didn't figure that out because you didn't study Bitcoin, right? Right, who in their right mind would own FTT token, right? Someone that doesn't understand uh, securities, right? Right, and, and of course, a lot of people in the crypto industry don't, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever we say, you know, these are unregistered securities, all the crypto people say, what does that matter? Right? What's with these stupid securities laws? Right. What's with the stupid security? <laughs> you remember certain famous influencers, this stupid SEC law from 1933, right? It's like, well, why do those laws exist? Well, they exist so that the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world can't print their own token, do insider wash trading, manipulate the price up to $8 billion, and then tank it to zero overnight. That, that's why the laws exist. He could have never operated the exchange. Alameda would be out of business. FTX would be out of business. And the FTT token would be out of business if they had actually had to file a registration statement with the SEC. Because those were all insider conflicts of interest, and there's nothing, nothing ethical or legal about any of it, right? And so they they couldn't have done it. And so the reason that it makes sense to file registration statements and take equities public is is in order to in order to avoid these kind of FTX FTT frauds that basically destroy people. Now, there's a big. Um, there is uh, a stigma attached to um, related party transactions in uh, public companies, rightfully so, because Alameda was a related party to FTX and FTT was a related party. So Sam Bankman-Fried is the issuer of FTT, is the owner of Alameda, a hedge fund, and is the operator and, and owner of FTX. Those were three related parties. The reason that there's a stigma is if you take if you took FTX public and you said, by the way, FTX accepts FTT, which is a related party issued token, and it, and it uh, it does business with Alameda. The question that a skeptical investor would have is, well, since the same person controls all three, is it possible that he actually wired the systems to give himself an advantage? And, and if it turns out that Alameda has a billion dollar trading loss, will Sam Bankman Freed, the CEO of FTX, liquidate Alameda in order to protect the interest of the other customers? Or will Sam not liquidate them to protect his own interest? He has a conflict of interest. And we know how the story ends. By the way, the other question would be, since Sam has uh, billions of dollars, $8 billion worth of FTE token, will Sam, the CEO of a bank, issue credit against the $8 billion of the token that he issued himself and give himself preferential treatment? Uh, or will there be an arm's length transaction? So here's an interesting question, Daniel. If, if you were an arm's length, if this was an arm's length relationship and there was a disinterested financial executive running FTX, how much credit do you think they would have extended Alameda for $8 billion of FTT token? Nowhere near what they did. Yeah, we know, we know they gave them billions and billions of dollars of credit, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe up to $10 billion of credit. Well, how much did you get as a bona fide microstrategy CEO when you were in the market trying to raise cash, right? That, that, that there's the direct comparison that we can use. Yeah. If, if I were to go to a bank and say, I have some locked microstrategy stock 
will you loan me money against it? They would say no, zero. If I if I went to them, zero, right? Uh, the the answer, by the way, to the question is a disinterested CEO of a crypto bank that was um, honest and competent would have lent Alameda somewhere between zero dollars and ten million dollars. Right. <laughs> Like, like the number is not one order of magnitude less. It's not even two orders of magnitude less, right? It's somewhere in the range of three orders of magnitude less. If you were honest and competent, you would basically say, well, what is 5% of the honest trading liquidity in the token? If the thing trades 100 million a day, but 80 million is washed trading, there's 20 million a day. Well, how much of that is trading on another exchange, not your own? Oh, 3 million a day. Okay, so $3 million of this stuff trades on, on another exchange. Is that, can I trust that one? No, they're not, none of them are regulated. Okay, how much trades, you know, on any regulated exchange? Well, of course, none of it, right? But but let's say I threw out the issue of a regulated transparent exchange. I just said, well, how much trades on how much trades on an exchange other than the one you own? 10 million. Okay, I'll give you 10% of that. I'll give you $1 million of collateral value. Okay, how much could you borrow against a million in collateral? Well, the max is 50% loan to value, five zero. So I will give you a $500,000 loan against $8 billion of FTT token. That's the right answer if you're honest and competent. So obviously that didn't happen. The reason it didn't happen is because you had you had uh, three related parties all terminating with one boss and the one boss was not honest, not competent and, and uh, not disinterested, right? Mm -hmm. A biased, dishonest, incompetent person. Okay, what could go wrong? Well, when you when you have uh, three related parties and and a biased, incompetent, dishonest person, the what can go wrong is the entire thing gets burned to zero. And is that likely? Yes, highly likely. It's it's not even just what could go wrong. It's highly likely. That's the reason there's a stigma attached to related party transactions. You would never want the CEO of a bank to be issuing loans to a private company that they owned, right? I mean, like if, if it turned out that the CEO of JP Morgan was issuing billion dollar loans to, you know, to Jamie Diamond, you know, real estate development company <laughs> jointly owned with him and his wife, right? People would just lose it right? yep. for obvious reasons. So what I can't figure out this part of the story is the SEC, they knew like that there's documented meetings between Sam and, uh, and I believe Gensler himself, if not some of his team, what were they sitting on? I can't figure that out for the life. First of, of all, I haven't, I haven't, no one has credibly documented that there were meetings. We know that there was a calendar entry where someone that worked for, Gensler might have had a meeting, but we don't okay. know anymore. So we're waiting for verification on that. Okay. I've, I I think I've I've read that there were many many more meetings with the CFTC than the right. SEC, and many many more with politicians. 
but mm -hmm. we don't know the content of any of those meetings. No one has made that public. But what is your question? Where were the regulators? It seems to me as though you said it before that there was were they sitting on their hands did they know is there more to this the regulators story seem it seems like they just don't really want to they they don't feel that they have the authority to regulate offshore entities right i mean that's been the right. big blind spot because and, he had it all registered in the bahamas right i mean ftx was was in the bahamas and so i, I there's this um there's this uh, vacuum of power, right? A grace, what, what a blind spot where the U.S. regulators don't feel like they have authority to regulate offshore entities. And the action they've taken has been via, via in civil enforcement actions, which are very slow and very expensive, like take years and years and years. And so they have basically, they have pursued a, you know, a number of entities via civil enforcement slowly, but they haven't really, uh, uh, they haven't laid out any global framework for digital assets and they haven't pursued offshore entities. They haven't even really pursued onshore entities that aggressively. So there's been a lack of, you know, a lack of effective enforcement, I think you could say. And a question about who should take leadership of it, but you know, Congress has been mired. They haven't passed a law. They couldn't pass a stable coin law. They haven't passed it. There is no law or clarity with regard to how do you register a digital commodity? How do you register a digital security? How do you register a digital currency? How do you register a digital token, right? There, there's not even a definition in law of what is a digital if i said define a digital token digital security digital commodity and digital uh currency it'd be hard to get people to define it i think there'd be a lot of debate about people not even understanding it right i bet you i bet i bet you um we can't get people to agree for example you think people will agree on the difference between a digital security and a digital token what's the difference mm -hmm. It's not well understood. There's no taxonomy. A lot of people think Bitcoin is a digital currency, but in fact, it's really more a digital commodity. Tether and Circle should be thought of as digital currencies. I, I can't tell you why we don't have a clearer regulatory regime. I can't tell you why, because that's politics. It's above my pay grade. I mean, mm -hmm. somewhere between the administration, the SEC, the CFTC, Congress, and the Senate and Treasury, they, they they could determine why. There's but, a lot of moving um, parts there, right? As well, there there's so many different incentives and people, you know, very e easily coerced in some departments. Maybe does it does it remind you? It reminds me a little bit of um, what we saw back in 08 or leading up to 08, where the um, the ratings agencies were, you know, behaving badly to put it in. Uh, in basic terms um i i guess that there's always there's always government you know interagency struggles and there's partisan struggles and 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 there's struggles between the industry and uh, between the regulators and so we had some of all of that and there's just a there's a lot of different agendas and there's a lot of money mm -hmm. that's uh, that's circulating to influence the agendas and so 
so I, it's not new, right? I mean, you can find uh, examples of these squabbles in every industry, every decade for hundreds and hundreds of years, as long as, uh, until you don't have history, as long as there's good history, you'll be able to read about it and debate it. I, I think that um, it's not that constructive for us to discuss why we don't have it. Let me, why don't we just talk about what we, what we should have, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a constructive suggestion, right? Yep. Um, I don't know how we get there, but but um, if you wanted the industry to grow, if you said, "What's best for the civilization?" What's you know? Let's start with what's best for the human race, for all eight billion people, and then we can talk about what's best for the United States or what's best for any given industry, right? But let's talk about what's best for the human race to uh, harness the power of technology in order to create abundance, in order to reduce friction, in order to improve efficiency, in order to improve productivity. That's what's best for the human race. So how do you do that with digital assets? I think the, um, the, the thing to focus upon is what are the virtues? And, and the, they're not that hard to figure out. Here are the virtues. It's virtuous. Um, it's virtuous to be able to trade an asset 24/7, 365, friction-free between 20 billion computers and 8 billion mobile phones. That's virtuous. If I if I can actually move money between here and South Africa on Saturday afternoon, that's virtuous. So digital exchanges are virtuous if you do 24/7, 365. You know, on NASDAQ, you can't sell your Apple stock on Saturday afternoon. But on Coinbase or Binance, you can sell something on Saturday afternoon. So that's a priority. It's pretty obvious that there's a benefit of 24-7, 365 service, a digital exchange. The second thing that's virtuous is, um, is digital peer-to-peer -peer transactions. The ability to bypass the exchange and for me to actually send $20 to you without going through Coinbase or Binance, without going through any, any uh, trusted third party or having the choice of any of 10,000 third parties, right? Choice, right? And, and so peer-to-peer -peer transaction is virtuous. The ability to self-custody is virtuous. Uh, it's valuable to be able to hold your Bitcoin on your hardware wallet or in your head. But one could say it's also equally valuable to be able to hold $100 or a million pesos, right? So, or, or, well, why not? Why stop there? Why not be able to hold your Apple stock on your hardware wallet, right? Why not be able to hold uh, a bond? Why, why can't you actually carry your, you know, New York municipal bond in your hardware wallet? So self-custody of assets is a third virtue. The fourth virtue would be the existence of digital commodities. Why can't I have um, uh, a digital commodity uh, that is um, uh, that I can self-custody? And Bitcoin is the greatest of digital commodities. But the ability to create any digital commodity, in theory, you could create China coin, Daniel, and China coin would be um, Bitcoin fork that you can um, mine in in China. And then you can hold as a Chinese citizen. Now, would that be good for Chinese citizens? Yeah. If it's illegal for them to own Bitcoin, but it's legal for them to own China coin, it would still be better 
for Chinese citizens, it's kind of like, um, like uh, if I live in China, I can't necessarily own land in the United States. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be able to own land in China. Right? You mm -hmm. see? <laughs> right? Uh, and, um, and if I have uh, Google in the United States and I can Google things, but it's illegal to Google in China, it's still not a bad idea to have a search engine in China. Right? So it's it's not the best thing in the world but for 1.5 billion people in china if the choice was to give them a digital commodity not bitcoin or give them nothing i would still give them a digital commodity not bitcoin you could do the same trick with a canada coin you could if, if the canadian said well you can mine canada coin using hydropower on the saint lawrence uh, seaway and there's no capital gains tax and no property tax on Canada coin, and you can trade it freely. And uh, you know maybe there's no state tax either, and you and there's no inheritance tax on it. If you're Canadian, you might say, "Hey, Canada coin, that's it." Sounds like a bad, not a bad idea. Now, if you're a Bitcoiner, you would say, "Ah, oh, Canada coin, that's garbage coin," because you know I'd much rather own Bitcoin. That's true. But um, I, I don't want to own a cabin in Canada. But if you live in Canada, you would probably think that, that a cabin in Canada is okay. Now, it's impaired property because you can't move it outside of Canada, right? But just because it's impaired property doesn't mean that it isn't property. And, uh, and so, so there's a family of digital commodities you could create uh, that would be good for the human race. It, it, it's not as good as if we abolished nation states and abolished taxes and abolished, you know, uh, property tax and abolished income tax and abolished inheritance tax and abolished border controls and, and abolished, you know, asymmetric rules. I get it, right? I mean, in a perfect world, we've got Bitcoin, no nation states and, you know, and manna from falls from heaven right but i'm not expecting to live in a perfect world in the next 30 years so in the next 30 years in a world of nation states you could imagine digital commodities circulating of which the greatest uh, the greatest global digital commodity is bitcoin and look if someone wants to create if they want to create a doge coin that inflates at five percent a year I, I don't want it right but but the point is like it's it's a commodity it's not a scarcity Right. Bitcoin is a scarcity because it doesn't inflate at five percent a year. It's capped. Absolutely. You know, like, a, do you want to own oil or natural gas? Um, there are people that make money owning it because there's demand in the near term. But the problem is you can't stop anybody from creating more energy. And so therefore, it's commodity is not scarcity. You think about it. You're like, OK, well, maybe there's something there and you know, maybe maybe Apple computer will create some kind of coupon that's like some quasi digital commodity that's not as good as Bitcoin, but it's better than the alternative and, and it'll flourish for a while. So having the ability to register a commodity uh, would be useful. Um, the, the next thing is a digital uh, currency. It'd be, uh, you know, the world does want dollars. They want a trillion dollars worth of dollars. They want them in Africa and Asia and China. And so if you were able to legitimize Circle or legitimize Tether and and uh, 
allow other banks or other issuers that are trustworthy to issue some sort of digital currency, then I think that market would grow by a factor of 100. It would explode. And is that a good thing? Yeah, it's good for the world because now, now I can actually carry cash around on my Android phone and make a cash payment in dollars. And I can do it in a split second, whereas, you know, right now I can't. How do I get access to it? So uh, that would be a good thing. And then I think uh, digital securities would be a good thing. I don't know that I like all the crypto tokens out there. Like I don't want FTT as a digital security. But but what about Apple stock as a digital security? What if you could actually buy 100 shares of Apple stock, hold it on your iPhone or Android phone and transfer it on Saturday afternoon, you know, and maybe someone wants to give you yield on it or, or you want to borrow against your Apple stock. Right now you can borrow against Apple stock, but only from a small cartel of banks mm -hmm. and they control the interest rate and they control the custody of it. You can't self custody Apple stock. There isn't any, there's no global market in either loans or yield on Apple stock. It is a, uh, a controlled market, right? So you have an oligarchy, you have a 20th century traditional finance system that controls $100 trillion of securities. All of them, all the stocks, all the bonds, et cetera. They're all stuck in the 20th century system and it stops working at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It starts working at 9.30 a.m. in the morning and it doesn't work on bank holidays, right? So, so digital securities would actually be good for the human race. I mean, if, if it's good to self-custody your Bitcoin, why wouldn't I want to self-custody $10,000, 1,000 pesos, 10 shares of Apple stock? You know, maybe I want to self-custody two ounces of a gold token, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it is a thing. What if, what if I wanted to self-custody uh, 10,000 barrels uh, of an oil token, right? <laughs> maybe you just want... To hold forever? No. To speculate on the price of oil? Yes. I want to buy 10,000 barrels of oil to speculate on, and I want to send it to my friend and take self-custody of it because I don't trust my oil derivatives, and I don't want to go through some ETF, right? So, so those are all just examples of digital securities. And then, uh, and then the other uh, interesting idea, which is, it's not a bad idea. It's just been unethically irresponsibly implemented is the NFT thing. Like uh, a token, like, I, I don't know. I mean, non-fungible token, how about just token? Like if you're a celebrity, let's say you're Tom Brady and you want to issue Tom Brady token and the deal is, or Katy Perry token, the deal is I'm going to sell 10,000 of them. They're going to cost $10,000 each. <laughs> I'm going to raise, uh, you know, whatever, 10,000 10, tokens at a thousand each is 10 million. So I'm going to raise a hundred million dollars. I'm going to sell a hundred million dollars worth of super fan tokens. Right. And uh, what do they give you the right to? Well, I've got like this private spaces and you have to have the token to get into spaces and, you, and to get my chat, you need the token. And if you have the token, you can get backstage passes to any of my concerts or you can come to my meet and greet after the football game. And then once a year, I have a barbecue, you know, and, and, uh, and if you have my token and you post it uh, and then you comment on my Twitter, I'll respond to you and like your tweets because you're one of my super fans. Right. Okay. And uh, if you want to, you can sell the token 
and when you sell the token, I get 10% of the capital gain. And so the incentive is for Madonna or Katy Perry or, you know, pick your favorite celebrity or artist or actor. The incentive is for them to be really cool with their 10,000 super fans and to drive the $100 million worth of tokens up to be worth a billion dollars. You know, like I, there are people that pay $10,000 to get a front row ticket to a concert or go to a certain event. People pay $10,000 to go to the Vanity Fair party so they could rub up against a star, a starlet, right? They just, they would pay that much. Somebody paid what millions of dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Right. Okay. So um, the, the reason that there's so much enthusiasm for some of these crypto token things was, was artists want to own their brand and celebrities want to own their brand. What's wrong with with, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince, he changed his name and wrote slave on his forehead because he was so angry at the music label, the record labels, because he felt like they had stolen his brand and they had rights to all of his intellectual property. And he felt kind of enslaved by them mm -hmm. via contracts. So what's wrong with giving a musician their brand back? What's, what's wrong with giving the creators the ability to monetize their, their fame? If you were to show up to a party at, or a charity event and you found out that everybody at the event paid $2,000 a ticket just to show up because you were going to be there, and there's a promoter that made $3 million that night, and you got paid none of it, or you got paid $20,000 or fifty or whatever— you'd be kind of irked. Like, why is it that the promoters and the labels make all the money and I don't, I can't make all the money and my family's starving or, you know, I got kids to feed or I, I got, I got my own issues and they just seem to be riding on my tail, right? This, this irks people, mm -hmm. right? So if you created a digital token and if a uh, hundred thousand creators could issue their own token it, it would catalyze a new economy. The problem, and, and this is what the crypto people have tapped into. The problem is there's no way to do that in, an, in a uh, legitimate ethical fashion. So they fall into the clutches of the crypto operators, right? Who, who kind of victimize them. So, um, and, and you can't just take yourself public. Like uh, if you want to take a company public, here's the problem with that. It would cost you about $25 million worth of lawyering and accounting to get ready to go public. And it would cost you five to $10 million a year to make all the filings to stay public. So, you know, it's going to be a hundred million dollars worth of cost and you need a full-time staff of 25 people, you know, some, some large thing. It doesn't make sense for, for 500 rock stars and 187 chess streamers. You know, what if you're one of these people on Twitch or YouTube and you're, you know, you're, you're Hikaru Nakamura, right? And you're streaming chess and everybody wants to be a Hikaru fan. And so you want to buy the Hikaru token. That guy doesn't want to take himself public. So, so there ought to be a difference between taking a company public and issuing a token. And here's the other problem, Daniel. And this is the big, this is the place where I sympathize with uh, the crypto entrepreneurs. 
and the and, and the digital assets community. Um, even if you took yourself public, even if you had uh, Daniel Prince coin, and you wanted to take yourself public and make all the disclosures, it's still illegal to trade 24 seven 365 on a crypto exchange. Like MSTR stock is public. There are thousands of pages of disclosures. Every quarter, we actually we actually make more disclosures. We have a never-ending stream of 8Ks and 10Ks and 10Qs and Form 4s where everything is transparent. You still can't trade MSTR on a crypto exchange. You see, there. so, <clears throat> so what do we have? We have a, a potential world. Here's the progressive world. Um, a million creators issue a million digital tokens. A hundred thousand issuers create digital securities for a hundred thousand digital securities, including uh, including Apple and Amazon and Twitter. Even Elon Musk needs to do this. He needs to take Twitter public in order to pay the bill, right? So Elon might turn around and and retake it public in order to raise the money to pay his bills, right? So so there's a there's a, a time when you want to issue uh, these kind of securities. Then, uh, you know, there's a market for some amount of digital currencies. I don't know how many, but certainly one, one or multiple per every fiat currency unit. And there's 180 fiat currencies. You need at least 180 digital tokens to represent the currency. You probably need three to five in order to create competition. So that's a, that's a thousand right there. So you could have a thousand digital currencies. <clears throat> you could have, uh, you should have at least one digital commodity, Bitcoin, the global scarcity. But, you know, if, you know, if there's another one, if China is not going to allow Bitcoin and they issue China coin, I'm still, I'm still in favor of other digital commodities as a benefit to the people. And, um, and then uh, you need some digital exchanges and you need, of course, the entire ecosystem of, uh, hardware wallets and, and wallets and custodians so that people can hold all these digital assets and self-custody them and then secure them with multi-factor authentication. So I've just described the grand digital assets economy that would have hundreds, hundred trillion dollars worth of assets and hundreds of thousands or millions of digital assets in that economy. And the benefit is, um, is world trade eight billion people can trade with each other friction free? We cut we cut you know cross border remittance down. We open up the global economy so everyone everyone can freely swap all of their currencies and all their assets. Low friction. We uh, we empower people with more sovereignty. Right? If you believe in sovereignty and you can hold <clears throat> you can hold twenty two different assets in your hardware wallet instead of one, that's more sovereignty, not less sovereignty. Um, until every corporation disappears and every nation state disappears, there's a legitimate reason for currencies and securities to exist. You follow me? Yeah. Right. If, if there's a government in China and there's a government in the U.S., there's going to be a currency for China and the U.S. And if there's Apple and Google, there's going to be an equity for Apple and Google. And if you believe in a world where there are companies creating your food and creating products for you, and in a world where there are governments, then there's going to be securities and there's going to be uh, currencies. And if you believe in a world where artists and creators can own their own brand, there should be tokens. 
for them so they can have some some you know how can you believe in sovereignty for yourself and then believe that Katy Perry shouldn't be able to you know own some of herself right why is it that um why should apple and google get all the money off of Katy Perry's art right cuz cuz it's getting monetized on apple music or amazon music right so so ultimately if you believe in freedom why not let the artists own their art? Why not let the companies own their equity? Why not let the countries own their currency? Why not let the commodities be commodities? And if you can create another commodity, more power to you. But, you know, I, I like the one we've got. And then why don't you let honest actors freely trade those things in exchanges? Why don't you let banks form that will give you loans against those assets and give you yield on those assets? Um. Some will be transparent, some will be opaque, some will be offshore, some might be DeFi, some might be CFI. You know, do you trust JP Morgan? For some things, I trust them. For other things, maybe you don't trust them, right? But um, but that's that's a progressive world of digital assets, and you would create a lot of prosperity if you did that. That's that's the best case. The only way that's gonna happen is if the regulators in the United States uh, lay out a framework of digital assets and they lay out a registration process by which you can get your token security um, commodity or currency registered, and then they lay out some rules of the road for exchanges to trade those things and what the disclosures are. And you, you, know, you would like to think that for less than a million dollars, you could find a way to issue an ethical token. And for, you know, $10 million, you could issue an ethical digital security. And for less, you know, for less than $10 million, you could find a way to, to issue or prove you've got a digital commodity. And, uh, and you could issue a digital currency. Uh, and there's restrictions and rules of the road and laws. And if there were, that would channel all of human ingenuity and investment into uh, rationally creating new products and good ones would prosper. Like, let, like let's, let's, let's pick the story of like two musicians. One musician issues a token and they issue 10,000 or, or a thousand. And then they actually have meetups every month and they, they treat their fans well. And all the token issuers go backstage and people love that musician and the token actually goes up in value. But the other musician issues 10,000 tokens and then they issue 100,000 more and they never host an event. And then they stop playing music and retire to just get drunk and live the rest of their life in squalor. And that token crashes, right? Because that's an example of a poorly run uh, token operation. And the other one was a well-run token operation. You know, the same thing happens with companies, right? One company issues too much stock and then its earnings go to zero, it loses money and the stock crashes, it goes to zero. Another company runs itself well and the stock goes to the sky. The same story happens with countries and currencies. One country issues a currency and they run the country well and they deregulate the market and people move to that country and the economy grows and the currency stays strong. Not as strong as Bitcoin, but strong. And uh, the other country issues too much currency, inflates the currency, makes stupid rules, passes all sorts of laws and restraint of trade, puts up huge tariffs, puts up huge capital controls, abuses their citizens, the currency goes to zero.
think Zimbabwe, right? I just described ways that nations can rise or fall, uh, ways that artists can rise and fall, ways that companies can rise and fall, right? If you want a commodity, then it's got to be a community and ideology, you know, slash, you know, slash movement, if you will. And if it is corrupt, think about all the Bitcoin forks, the ones that were corrupted failed, right? If it's corrupt or it's stupid, then it will fail. And if it's virtuous and and uh, rational, it will succeed. You know, I, I, cryptos are like religions, and I've said it before. And I don't I don't think it's prejudicial to say that. You've got plenty of religions through the history of mankind. They're ideologies, and people join the join the ideology because they believe in it and they get value from it. And if you think about the ideologies that lasted a thousand years. The ones that, you know, were virtuous and had good values tended to grow and prosper. And the ones that were corrupt, run by demagogues, you know, that were not virtuous, who were full of vice, tended to crash and burn. And you don't believe me? Go study the history of religion. You'll find that 99% of them fail over the course of 100 years. 99.99% fail over the course of a few thousand years. And so ideologies will lift or or destroy a commodity companies will destroy the securities or or elevate them and uh the tokens will live or die with the celebrity you know and uh they are what they are and and uh i think that you've got three different regulatory regimes you've got the current regime which is a bit passive aggressive um, and uh, chaotic. That's where we're living right now. In that regime, uh, there is only one safe haven. The only thing you can do safely and ethically in the current status quo is, is buy Bitcoin, own Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is universally acknowledged as the commodity. There's no way to get anything else acknowledged as a commodity or a security or trade it or a currency, right? So so we're we're in a current environment where the only path forward is Bitcoin. That's the positive. The negative is it's a bumpy path because everything else is chaos, right? And and uh, opaque, and you're just and it's a wild west. The um the second regulatory environment would be um a regressive regulatory environment that's clear. That would be an environment where you could own maybe six currency tokens, a handful of commodity tokens, and you'll have a dozen or two dozen tokens trading on exchanges, and that's it. Maybe they'll let circle, you know, circle, uh, you know, circulate, right? If they like it, if it's a if it's a company that's regulated that issue, maybe Paxos. Okay, I can use I can circulate Pax Gold, Pax Dollar, <laughs> Circle. Bitcoin, and then we'll have a debate about whether or not is a Litecoin or or some kind of some kind of proof of work token is it a commodity? If so, then then that's the regressive environment, a very small environment. In that case, you can own a few more things, but of course, the only thing that looked really good is Bitcoin, and the rest are kind of just trading tokens. The currencies would be used for remittances. That's a net plus. 
right? It's, it's still a benefit, right? You still have a trillion dollars worth of US dollar coin and you could circulate that to China and Africa and South America and Asia, and it would be a net plus circulating on the lightning network and on centralized networks and custodial networks. So there's something there. Uh, the third uh, regime, <clears throat> the best regime would be a progressive digital assets regime where we define digital tokens, digital securities, digital currencies, digital commodities, digital exchanges, and we allow hundreds of assets and then thousands of assets and then 10,000 assets and then hundreds of thousands of assets to circulate friction-free peer-to-peer via exchanges, via open protocols like Lightning, via custodial protocols, you know, like Binance or Coinbase or or Block or Cash App, right? That's that's the best. The only way that's going to happen is uh, if some combination of regulators and policymakers in DC get together and they put forth that framework. And uh, we will see, right? I, I'm not expecting it in the next 12 months based on what I see. It seems to me like we're more likely stuck in scenario one, which is, you know, chaos. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Chaos, yeah. wild west, and passive <laughs> aggressiveness for the next twelve months because At because least. there is no clear path forward. Also known as clown world. Uh, yeah, yeah. The it, what what is good to see like um, there is there is a musician out there on uh, in a musician pleb who is just releasing his money value for value via fountain app. Uh, so you can go and listen to his music and you are streaming him sats. So he's never going to get tied up into, you know, these contractual obligations that the Prince had to, and George Michael, you know, the two great examples of, uh, of time past. Um, and they could just do that with Bitcoin and they won't have to issue their own token and spend all of that money on legal fees and whatever else to, to ethically no, no, do I, that. I get that. But, but, but to be clear though, uh, that clearly is a it's a safe haven but it's it, it it's not a digital security or a digital token or a digital currency and so you could do the same thing by simply selling your own app on the apple store and telling people download the app and pay a dollar a month to get your music so there are plenty of ways to monetize or monetize content right now and uh and you're talking about using micro payments mm -hmm. to support things. I, I think it's a totally different subject, which is, which is under what circumstances will micro payments be successful, right? But it's not the same as what I described, right? Like I, I, I would think that, for example, um, Katy Perry uh, is probably not going to rely upon you know streaming sats and micro payments it'd be great if if she did but but there's a lot of impedance there right now and, we, we and need to different... we need to this is what we need to do mike we need to orange pull katie perry to make another album and only sell that album in bitcoin so then she forces 100 million people to go out and at least exchange 10 to 12 dollars worth of bitcoin so they can have their first touch point so they can buy her album it's an interesting idea but the, you know, it's a different idea <laughs> it's it's a heavy lift it's, well it's, it's uh, a heavy I... lift it's very it's very difficult uh, now we're back to this issue of you know is bitcoin a currency or is it um 
Is it a property or, or an asset? And the, and the problem is 99.99% of the world's systems are wired uh, to pay you in the currency. So, so if you look at cross-border medium of exchange, it's all the dollar. And so you, you know, you can't even sell something in yen, right? Try, if you lived in Japan and you wanted to sell something to an American and you said, pay me in yen, people would balk. Mm -hmm. So you're going to lose 99% of your audience when you actually put that impedance in front of people. And, um, but you'll get those 10,000 super fans. No, you won't. The point, you don't the, think so? You won't. You won't get the ten thousand super fans. If you if your if your if your fan base is already a hundred million, would you point, be left with there, the ten thousand? It's a different. It's a different idea, right? I mean, a digital token is the idea of an artist taking themselves public and selling shares in their own brand. That's mm -hmm. a different idea than than I'm going to use my influence in order to drive you to to buy satoshis. To stack sets, it's a yeah. Different idea, right? They're different, right? Um, it's not hard to get people um, to uh, to want to embrace your technology because they th they think it helps them. It's hard to get people to embrace your technology because it helps the world. <laughs> like if the world's most famous musician said, "I'm only selling my album in Bitcoin," that's good for the world. But it's bad for them in the near term because they're going to make fewer sales and they know they're going to make fewer sales. Right. So it's 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 creating an impedance, just like when these guys move off of uh, the most common network and they move to the second network, their their uh, sales are going to or their message is going to fall by an order of magnitude. So it's it's like a, it's a different idea that we could talk about. But. It's more likely um, someone is going to uh, someone is going to embrace Bitcoin like uh, uh, artists because they understand that Bitcoin is the best way to save their mm -hmm. wealth and give it to their children or their heirs. So if a famous musician decides that Bitcoin is the best way to store my wealth and escape inflation and monetary debasement, then they will buy Bitcoin and then they will support it and say it's a good idea because of that reason. They're not going to embrace Bitcoin because it'll sell more albums or make them more famous. I mean, it, there might be a slight, they might say you can pay me in this or Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. That'll be a nice step. Right, like a plus, but but they're not, you know, it's it's kind of like if I was supporting uh, a language, you know, that's spoken by 1% of the world. And I said, I'm going to create an album, but it's only in that language. And you have to learn that language in order to listen to my music. You know, the, the problem is you're going to lose your audience. And so so that that well, we, we need strategies that get everybody to adopt and embrace Bitcoin. If we're back to the subject of what's good for Bitcoin, what you want. You want to make it easy for people to embrace Bitcoin. You don't want to make it painful for them to embrace Bitcoin. Let's, there's some paths of least resistance that are simpler than others. And that, that's a beautiful segue into to what I wanted to discuss with you uh, on today's pod. Uh, one, of, one of the very many things, one of the notes I've got written down here, um, and that is about nation state adoption. 
because uh, and just to give a little backstory to to the listeners uh, you were gracious enough to uh, host um, myself and uh, Andre Loha big shout out to uh, the pleb from Madeira um, who has managed to start orange pilling his president and uh, he brought along um, his uh, his head of cabinet and uh, the the leader the the guy in charge of the international business center there and uh, Prince Philip joined us as well and we came and visited you and uh, we would we just wanted to get your ideas around the best practice of nation state adoption or how to best go around educating the people of Madeira, you know, a small island of around 260,000 people. Would you mind sharing? I don't know if your thoughts have changed since that meeting back in April, but would you mind sharing with people your thoughts on one, how El Salvador have, have gone around doing it? And two, how you think, what would be the best practice for for other people to put something in place for for their for their country for their state for their whatever it is you know when when you think about governmental organizations you you want to focus upon the the most um most effective biggest bang for the buck strategies first so so the the question really big starts with uh, with well what is the political entity is it a nation state or is it a um, state itself within an, is it a province within a nation state or is it a city or is it an agency so uh, what you would do rationally is a function of how much political power you have but let's just say hypothetically you're a small country mm-hmm. uh, and we'll go from there. If you were a small country, I mean, the, and, and what you wanted to do was encourage Bitcoin adoption and or benefit from it. You do the the simple non-controversial things first. First, you just start to educate and provide education on what Bitcoin is, because if people don't understand what it is, all your other initiatives are going are gonna to backfire on you. So I, I think you got to start with education. And, and first, you would educate yourself and the people in the government. So I would start with, uh, with education programs to educate the, the government in general. Then you would move to educate the citizens. And that just means make the education freely available and promote it, right? Free education. Then from there, there are... Th- the, the general playbook is you want to put in place asymmetric legislation or asymmetric laws or policies. Policies that make it beneficial for an individual, an investor, a business person, or any other entity to do business with you or to relocate, relocate their funds or relocate their business or relocate their, their person to your jurisdiction. So how might you do that? Um, well, um, you could start with the tax code, right? Like if if I knew that there was no property tax on Bitcoin and there would never be a property tax, that's a start. Now, generally there isn't a property tax on Bitcoin anywhere else in the world though. So it's not, it's not an, a, a big advantage, except that proactively stating that you won't might be might provide some people comfort. The next tax though would be uh, capital gains tax. 
right? So if you were to actually say you're giving it the, the most favorable capital gains tax treatment or no capital gains, right? That's, that's going to be a big advantage for you. Uh, the next would be income tax. If you, if you traded it, uh, you know, if there's a, if there's a, a positive tax treatment or the most favorable tax treatment for any asset, then the yeah, people are going to want to relocate the asset there. So, so whatever the tax code says is important. And in some jurisdictions, when you go and you buy property, the foreigner has to pay a property tax. Like in the UK, if you buy property, there's a transfer tax, and that discourages foreigners from buying property and discourages people, domestic property holders, from selling their property to foreigners, right? So, so um, the way that you discourage any property or any assets from coming to your country is you put onerous taxes on them. And then the way you encourage it is you do the opposite, right? You don't tax them or you're, or you're very clear that there won't be any taxes. So, so let's assume though, that you do all that because there are a lot of other tax-free jurisdictions, right? There's like the Singapore's and the Monaco's and the UAE's that are pretty well known for not having onerous taxes. They don't have income tax or trading tax or capital gains taxes. So so uh, after you look at the tax situation, the next thing uh, you would do is is look at uh, your real estate. Um, if if you were to actually give a license to uh, to a a Bitcoin ATM operator to go and set up ATMs on every street corner, or if you gave them a right of way and they're able to, or, or you gave them a right to to um, plug Bitcoin into existing ATMs, right? Uh, then if every ATM in the country uh, took and, and or provided Bitcoin, then that would make your country Bitcoin friendly. And of course there are, there are regulations, you, you know, this is under the broader category of financial regulations. Are there regulations prohibiting you from moving Bitcoin around or are there regulations that encourage it or enable it? So you want to make it easy to do, do business, to do commerce with the asset and the nation. And likewise, you want to, um, you want to get rid of all of the onerous financial regulations that make it difficult. Sorry. Um, after you work through the tax code and then after you look work through all the financial regulations, you know, then you go to all the land use regulations. We talked about it. If there if if you make it easier uh, for someone to set a Bitcoin business up, that's good. If you make it hard, that's bad. Then there are issues of citizenship. Uh, certainly. I mean, some nations allow you to bring to obtain citizenship if you buy property. Mm -hmm. I can think of a number. You buy a million dollars worth of property, you can apply for a passport. Well, if Bitcoin uh, custodied in the nation in question counted as property and it gave you certain rights as a citizen or as a resident alien, then that's a benefit. So I, I think all of those are obvious. Then you go to the next step, which is you um, you as a government 
buy some yourself, right? If you start to acquire Bitcoin for your treasury, that's a benefit. If you were to pass laws or set up regulations where people could pay their taxes or pay fees, governmental fees in Bitcoin, that would be beneficial. But uh, the thing that would make it really compelling is if you actually telegraph that if people pay their fees in Bitcoin, you wouldn't convert it back to fiat, you would actually hold it on the nation state treasury or in, with the central bank of your nation in Bitcoin, right? That encourages people to pay all their fees in Bitcoin and that actually creates another, another Bitcoin treasury. So I think that's useful as well. <clears throat> I think that um, be beyond that, um, rules that make it possible for Bitcoin-friendly businesses to work there. If you're if you're a business that's actually creating uh, creating Bitcoin services or Bitcoin products, or or products that that um, that integrate with Bitcoin, that's useful. I think. Uh, I think simply having regulatory clarity that makes it clear what you can and you can't do and what the rules of the road are, I think are very, very useful. So off the top of my head, I would start with all of those things and then go from there. And having watched El Salvador for the last uh, year and uh, <clears throat> year and a half, what are your thoughts on uh, how that's been rolled out? I don't know if you visited. Um, please tell us if you have, if you've got any uh, personal insights. I, I haven't visited. I mean, I, I think they've done some things pretty well. And I mean, they've got an office. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't just give away, I wouldn't give away $30 worth of Bitcoin to all the citizens, right? Like I wouldn't do that. I think that that's an expensive way to spread Bitcoin. I, I think that... Um, you're better off to organically create a reason why a business would come, right? And, and ultimately there's a, you know, there's only so much that nation states can do. The, the positives generally are around tax incentives and the negatives are around regulation. So I, I think if you're a governmental entity, what you wanna do is have have constructive regulation that's very positive and you want to have a lack of negative regulations that are onerous. And I think you want to have constructive tax incentives. Like, I mean, if, if you really want people to locate to your country that own Bitcoin, you would say there's no tax, there's no, there's no inheritance tax on it. I mean, for, for the most part, the other incentives aren't that useful, right? Because if I really believe in Bitcoin, I'm not gonna sell it or very rarely gonna sell it. So maybe I sell a little bit over a long term, but I intend to hold it forever. So the the thing that everybody intends to do is they're all gonna die. And there are very few places in the world where you can die without having half your assets seized. Mm -hmm. so, Which is so, shocking. Right, we can make a list of of them, but it's a very short list of, of places that don't just steal all your stuff when you die. So if I was trying to do something that was really effective, I would simply have have uh, tax carve outs and, mm. uh, and I would say, we just don't tax your Bitcoin when you pass it to your heirs or 
or we just don't tax the Bitcoin when you transfer it, period, whether whether you transfer it while you're alive or while you're dead. And if you did that, then that's pretty compelling. Um, the rest is, I mean, the world's full of, uh, say you've got American citizens, they can't really escape American tax code uh, without, you know, giving up their citizenship for 10 years, right? So it's it's pretty onerous. But for uh, for American citizens in that situation, you would simply uh, want uh, to enable uh, enable them them to set up business operations that that do Bitcoin friendly things, and it never hurts to just make it easy uh, for businesses in your nation to accept Bitcoin. Right, I, I would be supporting Lightning. I guess I would support lightning and lightning payments for all my merchants. If the government accepted lightning payments and um, and the merchants accepted lightning payments, and if there's if there's some benefit or some help from the government to get that infrastructure up and running, then you would like to be the country where everybody can pay with lightning everywhere. Right? I think that would be useful. I think it would be useful if... Um, if you if you had your own currency, and you uh, created uh, a digital token with you, you know maybe it's the the D uh, the DRAM or something, you know, if you create that digital currency and you create a Lightning wallet where people can exchange uh, Bitcoin for that currency and that currency for Bitcoin seamlessly, instantaneously for free, and they could pay using Bitcoin, it got immediately transferred back and converted back into digital currency, friction-free, everybody's happy. I think you would have integrated your currency with your payment systems, with your merchants, with your tax code, with the Lightning Network, with the Bitcoin Network. That would be a useful thing. But that's not, drive good traffic. that's not the CBDCs that they envisage, right? Uh, when, when you hear the central bankers talking about CBDCs or government officials, well, I mean, there are, there are certainly there are central bankers that want to issue their own CBDC and control you with it. Yes, there are other central bankers that want to issue their CBDC to control the currency, but they don't need they don't want to control how people spend it. They're a little bit less onerous. They simply want to just inflate the money supply. There are other bankers that just want to issue a digital currency. Like, I mean, JP Morgan and Bank of America would just like to issue a digital currency just so that they can generate yield on their digital currency. I mean, heck, Tether and Circle would like to issue their stable coin because they can get paid four and a half percent or four percent yield on, right? So their motive is just to get the yield and 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 the like. So there are lots of people that have different opinions about digital currencies. So if you're running a country, you have a choice, right? You can you can choose uh, to be a good actor or a bad actor, right? If, if you want to be a good actor, you would issue a um, a digital currency that's cash-like instrument uh, that, that provides you with privacy and you could self-custody, right? I mean, if you're a good actor, you know, if you're a mid-actor, you would issue the digital currency and let people self-custody Maybe you'd inflate it a bit more. Again, I obviously um, people that are in favor of doing the right thing are exclusive to people who are against doing the right thing. So either you're going to do the right thing or you won't, right? I mean, 
you asked me what I would do if I was running a country and I told you, right, which is mm -hmm. I would do the right thing and I would support lightning. I, th I think if I if I didn't have a currency like in El Salvador, they don't have a currency. They've got to have a lightning wallet that supports USD and BTC. If you had a currency like ARS, the peso, you would want a lightning wallet that supports ARS, USD and BTC. Will they do it? They're not going to do it in a hyperinflationary economy. If you're intent on running your currency and inflating the, the supply of it by 20 to 30% a year, you're not going to do what I just described because people would use the lightning wallet to evade capital controls and all of the value in your economy would drain out of your local currency into the U.S. dollar. Some of it into Bitcoin, a lot of it in the dollar overnight, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some countries that have a stable currency. I mean, a, a relatively strong currency. I mean, Switzerland. You know, if you look at if you look at the Middle East, they've got a lot of currencies pegged to the dollar. Even the Chinese sort of pegged their currency to the dollar, but they have capital control issues. They don't want their citizens to move their money out of China. But if you went to a society where the currency is pegged to the dollar. If I was in Emirates and I wanted to be, you know, if I wanted to lead the world, I would issue a digital wallet based on Lightning, based on Bitcoin that, that offered you the, the digital DRAM, the digital USD, the digital, the BTC. And then I would uh, plug Lightning into all the merchants in the country. And then I would plug the government into lightning and I would say, you can pay for everything using this. They're, they're a very mobile economy already. They've always been leaders in mobile, mobile government that, you know, they had a mobile government initiative to basically set up all the government agencies to be mobile accessible so that you can, you don't have to go into, you know, an office to do things. You can do them online. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would do. I would basically em embrace the entire you know, digital economy that way. Some people will, some won't. We'll see who does. If um, if you were a nation state and you were a big exporter, then there are three ways you could embrace the, the Bitcoin. You could say, I'm going to sell barrels of oil in Bitcoin. That's the most aggressive way. That's kind of like your idea of Katy Perry sells her next album in Bitcoin. <laughs> but but that's going to create a lot of pushback yeah uh, yeah right the last As time know. you know in, in libya when they didn't want to take yeah, dollars get, for oil you know what Duffy happened. found out what yep, yeah exactly yeah so that that's the most abrasive aggressive way there's a secondary way i'm going to convert my entire treasury from united states dollars uh, u.s treasury bills to bitcoin okay that's pretty aggressive too. You might not want to go that far. The third way is, you know, our sovereign wealth fund is just going to buy Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset. It's one of 10 assets that we own. Mm -hmm. we're, we're buying Apple stock. We're buying Google. We're buying T-bills. We're buying some gold. We're buying Bitcoin. Okay, that's that's the most incremental way. So if I had a trillion dollars... I guess I'd start by buying 10 billion worth of Bitcoin out of my $400 billion sovereign wealth fund. 
And then maybe I'd creep up to 20 billion of Bitcoin and then 30 billion of Bitcoin and then 40 billion of Bitcoin. And, and it would be an incremental thing and I would embrace digital assets. And, and th there's no reason to wave a red flag at a bull, right? Or to make this unnecessarily jarring. You could argue it's not good for Bitcoin. You remember when when someone said, you know, WikiLeaks is going to take Bitcoin and Satoshi said, yep. you know, now you've kicked over the hornet's nest. We don't, we don't need that much publicity. We're too early. Mm -hmm. So I think the same is true here, right? Um, if, uh, if Bitcoin is embraced as a treasury asset or one of multiple, just a new asset class, I think we 10x from here easily with no controversy to speak of. It's just another asset. <laughs> and we'll just creep into it. And then you 10x again when you say, oh, it's it's a it's a good asset. And when you're 100x bigger, you start to say, well, it seems to me like the best asset. Just going from it's an asset to it's a good asset gets you 10x each time. And it's the best asset gets you 1,000x. So... If I was a, you know, if I was talking to a nation state, I would say, well, acknowledge it as an asset. You know, I've, I've got this taxonomy. I said, everybody goes through five stages of Bitcoin. They're, first, you've got the deniers, then the skeptics, then the traders, then the technocrats, then the maximalist. The deniers think it's tulips. It's not real at all. It's a sham scam, right? The skeptics say it's real, but it's too good to be true. The government's going to ban it. The traders say, oh, it's a it's an uncorrelated asset or it's a correlated asset. I don't know if I like it or not, but I'm going to trade it because sometimes it, when it's going down, I short it. When it's going up, I go long. And, and if it's, I'm not sure, I just sell the volatility. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just going to going to step three, trader, right, means you're going to actually buy billions of it. Step four is technocrat. It's it's the world's greatest digital monetary network. It's like Google for money or Facebook for money. If I like Apple and I like Google, why wouldn't I like Bitcoin? Right? A digital network for billions of people that does something. So technocrat is better. And of course, maximalist is, it's an instrument of economic empowerment, right? It's freedom and sovereignty and, and liberty for 8 billion people. Economic empowerment. So what I just described is if they bought it at all, they're traders. If if they decided it was a good technology idea, they're technocrats. And when they understand it's a it's a good ethical idea, they become maximalist. And I think Bitcoin now 400, a little bit less than 400 billion, 350 billion in, in the market. If we just get people to be traders will be three and a half trillion. And when they become technocrats will be 35 trillion. And when they're maximalist, they'll be 300 trillion. And of course, there'll be a lot more money in the world or it'll, we'll drain out of a lot of the assets. I think at that point, you start demonetizing, you know, all sorts of things, currency, sovereign debt, property, collectibles, precious metals, securities, you know, et cetera. But that's you know it's it's a ways right we got we got 30 years 40 yeah, years we do to get there and, and just to give you uh, an update on what did happen after that meeting in uh, in madeira the, the president um subsequently asked andre to um get a 
advisory board together and uh, invited more people to come to the actual island, uh, to Madeira, and visit with government officials as well as the energy company for that education piece. And then uh, also layered on top of that said, start some kind of organization whereby you're giving out free education to the citizens. So there's already been three meetups, I think, that are held at a co-working space, which Andre runs himself. And it's free for all of the locals, anyone actually, to to go and um, listen to speeches and look at workshops and, you know, ask questions. And that's just going to become more and more popular in 2023. It's already attracting some Bitcoiners to relocate to the island. So that advice was well heeded. And I'm interested to see what happens in 2023. You know, you make me think it's it's good, but of course... You know, you do a podcast and you have 100,000 people view it in a few hours, whereas physical meetups are a pretty expensive way to educate. If mm-hmm. you're going to do it, building it into the curriculum in the schools, yes, like prov- prov- making it a class, e- even an optional class in high school or in, yep. or in the college, I think that's pretty useful. And also offering it, uh, I mean, y- what you really want is to mandate it if you could, if you could make it a, a required class. Uh, in high school or required for government employees. But if you're going to make it optional, you, you basically want to offer it to all the employees of the government and all the students. That's how you actually spread ideas most effectively in education. Otherwise, yeah, you that's, could set up an education center in the middle of town. But I think the problem is it's, it's probably ideas spread 1% as effectively in in the real world as they do in cyberspace they just don't go that fast so you need to find a way uh to make it a bit more viral yep 100 percent, and that is being worked on like uh, a course for kids and uh, of course uh the the books are being uh translated all the kids books and uh, they'd, they'd be gifted to all of the uh the schools and there's tons of ideas. Uh, yeah. No, it's great. It's great. And and it's really, really very, very bullish what's going on. And I just hope uh, it can be a beacon of uh, inspiration for, for other small countries that have like, uh, you know, a certain amount of autonomy. But the bigger ones, like the huge nation states, you got to just work in your local towns, I guess. And, um, you know, your communities before we get there. All right, Michael, uh, I got to kind of start bringing this round to the end here. And I know you've answered this question many times uh, and you can't choose Katy Perry. But if you had just one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? At this stage... I'd probably give it uh, to someone like um, Larry Page or Tim Cook. Mm-hmm. So I think I think probably the most powerful entities are are you know people running Apple and running Google because they control all the mobile phone operating systems in the world. And if you want to move Bitcoin at the speed of light to billions and billions of people building it into the iOS and building it into the iCloud and building it into Android and building it into Google and, you know, and, uh, and uh, all of 
their various um, billion user networks. I mean, ultimately Google and Apple are, they control cyberspace more so than any company. And then, then you've got organizations like Facebook and Twitter that are pretty good at moving stuff up, moving information around, but, but Google and Apple really control what is in the palm of the hand, in the hand of 6 billion people. And they control the communication networks and, and the like. And so, so either one of them would probably be the most, uh, the most effective at uh, moving the world toward uh, digital prosperity. What's your focus for 2023? Um, find, uh, find ways to educate more people on Bitcoin and find ways to acquire more Bitcoin. <laughs> like us all. Uh, <laughs> you, um, yeah, you, you, you're very, uh, humble about uh the you know the, the biggest positive events of uh of 2022 um you know shout out for your award that you received at the uh it was it i don't know how to correctly name it the atlas um the atlas society atlas society atlas right, okay yeah thank you that must have been pretty cool uh great speech by the way and i listened um to your pod with cedric uh Ceders did a great job as always um and listening to your thoughts on that was was excellent so i just wanted to um make sure if people haven't seen that, that they go and check that out. Are you going to be turning up at any conferences at all next year uh, that you've announced or are looking to go to that anybody should be I, aware of? I'm sure I'll make a few. I mean, I know I'm, I'll, I'll make the Bitcoin conference in Miami. It's on your back doorstep. Back and, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, a fairly convenient one. And I'll do I'll do a few more and I'll make announcements as they as I commit to them. Will we see you on this side of the pond, Mike? Is that going to happen? likely yeah, yeah likely all right well i look forward to it it'd be great to have you over here and um get get the euro plebs uh out for some parties all right is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to cover or any final messages before we close it down i think 2023 is going to be a great year <laughs> we got a lot of heavy lifting done in 2022 we in a lot of different did. areas i thought it was very yeah it was a lot of work done and I think we're gonna we're gonna see the benefit of that work in 2023. All right, Michael. Well, thank you as always. Have a great Christmas, and uh, look forward to seeing you in person again next year, whether it's your side of the pond or mine. Thank you, Dan. See you. Well, guys, there you go. Thank you again, Michael, for giving up so much of your time throughout the last two years, not just to come on my podcast, but on every other single podcast that you've done. Every other CNN, Squawkbox, CNBC, Market Watch, whatever mainstream media little snippet that you've appeared on. Tucker Carlson's talk show, that was a huge one. And all of the other, I, I know you go on a lot of the um, not, not so Bitcoin y podcasts and Bitcoin y uh, influency type people, the crypto influency type people, excuse me. And you've even been on Lex's show as well. So, you know, hats off. You're doing us a great service and spreading the the message of Bitcoin as far and as wide as you as you can. And that's a lot of heavy lifting done in just two years to have come into the space and to have been able to um, 
you know, portray Bitcoin in such an eloquent manner is uh, certainly a, a very unique skill. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that one, guys. Reach out to Katy Perry if you can. Let's get her on side. Michael's down for the cause. We can orange pill her and, and get her selling albums in Bitcoin. I, I am sure of that. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what people's thoughts are on Michael's vision for the next 10, 20, 30 years and how this all starts playing out. None of us know. That's the beauty of it. None of us know. All we do know is we do have Bitcoin and it works and it's truth and it's going to carry us forward in ways we can't even begin to understand. And I, like you guys, and like Michael, am here for it. Let's go. Let's bring it on. Make sure you're checking in with the show sponsors. Do your own research. Find those companies best suited to your needs. Make sure you are fiat cost averaging your way out of fiat and into Bitcoin in a slow, deliberate manner. You can hit up swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten in the US. You can, in Europe and the UK, you can use coincorner.com or relay r-e-l-a-i dot c-h forward slash bitten and globally you can use hodl hodl that's h-d-o-l h-d-o-l dot com forward slash bitten that will save you on fees and commissions for global peer-to-peer trading with bitcoin throw in a coin join see if it's something that you want to start checking out in 2023 very simple way to get started download a wasabi wallet wasabiwallet.io it takes seconds you can hit a receive address after you've created your wallet of course and taken care of your private keys and run a few satoshis through just to see if this is uh, an experience that you are interested in you know looking into further stack safe with bitbox02 by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and if you're a user of an apple iphone and if you're a user of android for that matter It's coming soon for you Android users, but Orange Pill app is live on the iOS store. People are already connecting and building their own little meetups all around the world. If we truly want to carry this message forward about Bitcoin, we have to start meeting each other in real life, in person, so we can start building incredible and amazing tools to push us into this future. Orange Pill app have solved it. It fixes this. You can just download the app again. Android users, we know. The developers know. They're working on it. It's a brand new app. You can try it out. Make sure you're following the tweets. That's Orange Pill app on Twitter. And finally, head over to the link tree, as I was talking about in the beginning of the show here, because there is a bunch of Bitcoin companies out there that just want to offer the plebs a discount on their services or their products. And there's got and all of these people, by the way, they've been on the show. Every single one of them. My, my Movies Plus, if you use the code BITTEN there, you're going to get a discount on a subscription. And that's Corey that's releasing some of the most amazing content. Go check it out. It's all here on the link tree. Six and Lemon and also Ungovernable Misfits. Go pick up some t-shirts. The t-shirt I'm wearing on this podcast, the HBDC, Honey Badger Don't Care, that is actually done by Six and Lemon. You can you can throw a design idea at them. They'll spin it up and it's on the shop. And it's like just so easy. It's Bitcoin merch. And people can pay 
with Bitcoin, obviously, on both. So that's Ungovernable Misfits and Six and Lemon for your merch. Just use the code BITTEN. Shamari, Scott and Mallory doing amazing work. They've got big plans. I spoke with Scott just yesterday. Got big plans for 2023. But you can go and get your kids' books, your kids' clothes now. They are going to be bringing out uh, the, the plushies, hopefully, the little Bitcoin monsters. And, of course, their, their flagship product, the, the game, Shamari. Uh, you've even got stacking sats on there. Um, that's a company in France. They run the Surfing Bitcoin conference in Biarritz. You got uh, the Maxi 99 Signs You're a Maxi book by Chris and Frieda. You'll get 33% discount with those guys. You've got sats back um, and all just there's so many. Just go and have a look through if there's something there that you want. Like the, the conferences are there. BTC Prague, 8th, 10th of June. You'll get 10% off the tickets. That's already very affordable, so go check it out. And, of course, the, the Miami one. That is going to be 18th to 20th of May, which Michael will obviously be you know, speaking at with many other people. That's it from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in. Have a great Christmas if you're listening, this, listening to this at Christmas time. At time of release, we're only a few days away. So I'll catch you soon.